Welcome to the E-Trade Super Bowl 34 Halftime Show. And now, we take you to the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida, where a year-long millennium celebration is taking place. Hi, everybody! Here in Florida, we're celebrating the future hand-in-hand. <laughs> so let the magic begin! Featuring the Walt Disney World Millennium Celebration, a worldwide tribute to the human spirit. Starring superstar Phil Collins, pop star Tony Braxton, singing sensations Enrique Iglesias and Christina Aguilera. Narrated by Edward James Olmos. And now the Walt Disney World Millennium Celebration Orchestra. Hello everyone, welcome to the Parkscope Unprofessional Podcast Hour. Oh man, this is a special episode. This feels kind of different. This feels weird. But I am excited for this episode uh, because we have um, some fun stuff going on tonight. And uh, I think everyone kind of gets the the vibe going on from the intro and everything going on right now. So I will introduce everyone tonight. Starting off, we have Jeff, Parkscope Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Everyone knows me. Here I am. Here you are. Short, short introduction needed. Yes, exactly. Short introduction. Uh, also joining us tonight is Justin. Uh, Justin is from WW Tales and various other things. So, Justin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good, guys. How are you doing tonight? I'm hanging in there. It's been a long week, man. It's we, been a long we week. We are excited to leave a leg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A C, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like C. That, yeah. Yes, that's what I meant. Oh, that, that's a long-running joke with us, right, Jeff? <laughs> it's a, yes, a very long-running <laughs> joke. Um, but yeah, so Justin, um, do you kind of want to give an explanation of like what... Uh, I, okay, explanation makes it sound like more of like an excuse or whatever. So, um, Justin, do you want to... Exp- Okay, now I'm just failing. Justin, do you want to introduce <laughs> yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, sure. I, I can explain or I can interpret or, or illustrate whatever you need me to do. Um, yeah, I'm Justin Stone. <laughs> I'm uh, the creator and uh, host of WDW Tales podcast. Uh, and my podcast essentially chronicles my experience working at the theme parks from when I was uh, I don't know, 15, 16, uh, up until my uh, later on years before I joined the actual corporate uh, workforce. Uh, everything mm-hmm. from food service to entertainment to attractions. Uh, I've pretty much done it all across Disney World and, and Universal. So uh, I just started um, recording it one day, and then people kind of uh, grabbed onto it, and uh, can, they they keep asking for more, so I'll, I'll keep doing it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So... Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm here to talk a little bit. Yeah, and I really appreciate your show. Um, I mean, also, like, I can't leave this on the table from this week. So, like, Global Guts, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was... Uh... We aren't even five minutes into this recording. Guts. Yeah, it was. It wasn't even global. It was the first season. I was like the twelfth oh, wow. episode or something like that. Oh man! And uh, walked away with the aggro crag, big winner. Uh, and it's funny, you know. I got to say, like, it, I was I don't know, fourteen, I think, when I did it, and um, 
it was like I was just moving from I was living in New Jersey, but my uh, family was moving down to Florida. And so I was kind of in between. And then it aired while I was still in New Jersey, like packing up and my the phone like wouldn't stop ringing. And everyone's <laughs> like, dude, you're on guts, you're on guts. And I like, ran to it. But then it just kind of like I never thought much more about it. And then every once in a while it flares up. To the point where my old I, – I used to work in advertising and uh, my old agency put it on my business card. They're like, eh, and he also won Guts. And everyone's like, you won Guts? And I was like, yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of deal. I'm, yeah. I mean it is a big deal like for our age group. I mean like when it comes down to it, Guts is a big deal. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. A lot of people are like, it's no Legends of the Hidden Temple or no Double Dare. And I was like, yeah, well, you aren't the one doing it. All right. Like, let me let me enjoy it's, my moment. It's no know. it's no shrine of the silver monkey. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think it's cooler than Double Dare. It's just me. But I think I think Guts is uh, has a leg up on uh, on Double Dare. I mean, they don't have they don't have a giant slime nose. <laughs> on guts, but you know, I mean, it, it they works. Do they have, have Mo. But they was have... was Mo was Mo the the referee within the first season? Yeah, Moira Moira Quirk was her name, and she um. So they filmed three episodes a day. So they would set up one of the obstacles, and then like we'll say there's three shows: a show a, a one, two, and three. So cast or contestants one would come in, and they would compete, and then they would take us back to the green room, which was a trailer. Uh, back by Soundstage 18 at uh, Universal, which was Nick Studios at the time. And then the next show would come in, and then the next show, and then they would strike that uh, that obstacle, and they'd set the next one up, and then they'd bring us out. So it took like, it was like a 10-hour day. But uh, there are two things that, I'll, that I remember being really funny. Is one is that Mora... She was incredibly nice, but she had a little bit of like a meltdown on the sh- on the, this ep- this taping. I don't know why she like stormed off, and uh, I don't know what happened. I guess she was messing up lines, or she and Michael Malley weren't getting around, getting along, or whatever. But she this said, whistle isn't working. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is the wrong referee outfit. Uh, so- I wanted the black and the white, not the white and the black. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she was really short, so they had her like on two or three apple crates to to stay. Um, basically within camera eye. And then the other thing, which isn't Moira um, related, but the big thing was the the PA or the production assistant was like, okay, now you're going to meet Michael Malley and do not say he looks like Tom Hanks. Like don't mention Tom Hanks. He's got a hang Wait, up about what? it. Yeah, My, I guess Michael ba- Malley does then, not look like Tom Hanks. He, he kind of did back in the day with his, he had the kind of the curly oh. hair. If you go back and watch the old episodes and like me, like okay. being the person I am, I was like, you don't look anything like Michael Malley. <laughs> that's like the first thing I said to him. They were, like, they were like, what did we just say? And so, uh, yeah, it was funny. But, uh, you know, my brother at the time, um, my brother, but at the time was um, director of marketing for Nickelodeon Orlando. So he, since the show was in the first season, he was putting together all the press and and all the press materials and all that th- stuff. So he used my episode for all the press. So, uh so there was like on every corner, like every entertainment section of every newspaper, there's me holding up the aggro crag. If you if you Google guts, you'll see me holding up the aggro crag. I'm like <laughs> 30 out of 45 pictures. I've become a meme, <laughs> like just because my show was the press show at Nick Studios. They used a cart, like a not a cardboard, but like a wooden cutout of me holding up the aggro crag so kids could put their faces in it. And all my friends. 
And all my friends were like, dude, I just put my face in your body at, at Nick Studios. I was like, yeah, I guess. Okay. This is the greatest so, thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm so happy. It, it, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a, um, surreal. Experience. I think surreal but, is the word you're looking for. <laughs> but were yeah. you in the Super Nintendo game? Was I, uh, no, I think that was later on or they didn't, I mean, they don't, I don't think they had names or you could put your name in or something like that. But, uh, no. And then global guts came out and then they were, they did guts champions, but they didn't pick me because it was, uh, they like brought like the competitors back, but because my episode was all dudes, they wanted like diversity. And so my episode didn't, I didn't get picked to come back or I don't know what it was, but I had already hung up my, um, my spandex <laughs> outfit from the show and I'd moved on to, to greater things, but yeah, it was a trip. I mean, it was fun. I didn't really, I don't get enamored by a lot of that stuff. I, I like, I like production. I like to see how cameras work and how all the stuff happens behind the camera. And I was more into that than really competing. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> you did you did more than us poor uh, Midwestern Ohio boys did. So what can I say? <laughs> now, I I've this is the, the thing I hear the most from my podcast is, my God, what a life. Like not like I don't say that like I'm boasting, but people are just like, mm-hmm. you did what? And then you did this and then you did <laughs> this and then you were in what? And then like, are you making this up? Like you're lying. And then I have like all this photo evidence to be like, no, this is, this is what I did. And, uh, that was a good thing about working at theme parks is like, if you put in the work, uh, you could kind of move about wherever you wanted to. That's why I was able to do like 150 things at Disney world is because I just didn't sit still and I mm-hmm. talked to people and, and then they, you know, gave me chances to do things. So uh, I, am sure that there are people like me that have this similar, maybe not guts, but they've got similar theme park stories. And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I, we could, we could talk about Nickelodeon studios for like another hour and a half, but unfortunately, or, or fortunately, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But this episode is a little more broad. Uh, so for this episode, we're actually going to talk about the Millennium Celebration. Um, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, this was an incredibly awesome experience for me. Um, I think for the Millennium Celebration, I was like 13, 14 years old. Jeff, roughly the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, for you, you're older. You're like considerably. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're 18, 19. Or so, or what? No, I was probably 22. 22? 22, 23? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're way <laughs> older than us. Got it. Duly noted. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I'm, I'm trying to segue into this and trying to describe it. So, for Jeff and I, like, so the best way to put this was, like, for myself, was I was getting back into Disney as the Millennium Celebration was starting up and starting to appreciate this, and Jeff was like kind of like a mentor for that in a way. And uh, we were just like reading unofficial guides and stuff and like old stuff and just like watching old specials and things of that nature. So for anyone who's never experienced or seen the Millennium Celebration, um, the Millennium Cel- Celebration started October 1st, 1999, 
and then went till December 31st, 2000. It was all throughout the Walt Disney World complex. Um, involved all the parks, but was mostly focused on Epcot. Um, why Epcot? Well, it's Epcot. That's where, you know, all the, the, the nations were. That's where all the future technologies were. And that's kind of what we're aiming to talk about is like, I feel like a lot of times when we're talking about new Epcot, cause like Bob Chapek and everyone's popping out of like boo holes and saying, Hey, this is what Epcot is now. And people are like, well, Epcot hasn't been the same since the eighties. And it's like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. I feel like Epcot was Epcot, you know, not that long ago, especially with the millennium celebration. Um, it felt very, very Epcot in a way. Um, I don't know if you guys can agree with me on that, but like, you know, it felt like Epcot, like that it was beyond Disney. Like it was a concept that was beyond the concept of the park that they were trying to bring into the park as opposed to, Hey, we got Moana. (laughs) So do you guys get what I'm saying with that a little bit? Maybe. Yeah. I, I would, uh, if I could hop in, I, 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 I agree. Um, on principle, I, I would say that um, you know they leaned a lot into the World Showcase for the Millennium Celebration mm-hmm. and kind of bringing the worlds together. So, I mean, there was that air of vintage Epcot because of you know you always like you always went to Epcot to see the fireworks at night and then you know ate dinner at the countries or explored the countries. So, <clears throat> I think that they 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 certainly embraced that. But to your point, I definitely think it was something beyond what the traditional Disney was, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like move it, shake it street party. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, dancers and, and actors and then Mickey mouse pops up or anything like that. I think it was definitely, uh, it, it, it had, it was centered or was anchored in, in what traditional Epcot was, but then it transcended it. So I I would agree. I, but I think that there's a a bit of both. Mm -hmm. Jeff. Well, getting into sort of the background here, which I know we're going to start talking about in a little bit. I mean, the Millennium Celebration was was an end of an era, uh, at least for the whole 90s Disney milieu. I mean, literally the end of an era, literally the end of the 90s, but also symbolically as well, um, because as everyone who reads all the online articles know that Paul Pressler went from Disneyland to uh, president of the Walt Disney attractions division in 1999. Um, and the millennium celebration was the last big thing as Disney kept building and building and building and building in the 1990s. And then literally, as Paul Pressler becomes the attractions head in mid-1999, it just stops, right? There's the Millennium Celebration, which was already pretty fully baked by the time he came in. Um, And then everything that they had been building for every single park, just the expansions just stopped. Um, Because after the Millennium Celebration, it was Magic Carpets of Aladdin. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> redo journey into imagination again. Um, oh, we have mission space. And then we have nothing uh, again until the Disneyland's 50th. So that would, I mean, it was the end of a, I guess, silver age, if you want for Disney. 
Um, and it began sort of a very dry, arid period of Disney history when just nothing would happen for years on end. Um, so the Millennium Celebration to me symbolizes not only a great celebration and a great party and a great presentation for Disney, but it's it's the it's the end. It's like the you know the the, the symphony at the end of a at the end of a movie or at the end of you know you know how at the end of a lot of old school Disney animated movies they have like the the heavenly choir sing the sing the the theme song like Little Mermaid you know when they're getting married on the boat and then the choir starts singing in the formal Disney tones. Mm-hmm. I mean that's sort of the Millennium Celebration to me. With uh, with my childhood, which is '90s Disney, I, I know Joe, you were asking for a philosophical treatise on what the Millennium <laughs> Celebration is, that, so I'm happy to deliver that. Um, but anyway, oh uh, uh, yeah, hell yes, that, that's exactly that, what that, I wanted. That's you in the studio, yeah. Joe. Ah, uh, put it in my veins right here. That's what I wanted. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say it's just uh, it's to add to the music element that we're talking about. It's it was the coda, if you will, mm-hmm. of the of the whole you know, imaginative Disney, right? It was the, the swan song, if you, if you will. And now it's the, I don't even know what it is now. <laughs> it's, it's the, uh, I don't know, non-symphony, right? It's the cacophony. What, but so <laughs> cacophony uh, is, it's, it's the part in Mickey's Philhar magic when Donald gets the hat for the first time and all the instruments just start playing randomly. Yeah, that, pretty that's, much. that's what Disney is right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, and so uh, what's special, I think, also we can encapsulate is that the Millennium Celebration was – it really did feel like the last time Disney did the celebration where it felt complete because every other – like they, they saw these celebrations <laughs> afterwards and they're like, we got to do one every year. Oh, my God. And then and they just like – like just like created these random masses of things like every once in a while it's like 100 years of magic we're just going to do this and then uh <laughs> two, two this. and a half years a million dreams yeah a year a million dreams this and it's like all these crazy things but like nothing felt ever as concise maybe as dense as the millennium celebration well because it was all it was all you know put on the conve- it was all put on the conveyor belt it was all you know factoried and mm-hmm. you know it had it had the stamp of approval it had the you know it's disney magic hashtag trademark copyright um you know like like you know the like taste the rainbow like the uh-huh. the celebrations just became just became branded yeah i would agree there was like a <clears throat> sorry to cut you off no god there was the millennium celebration there was an energy to it you know, there was a uh, they really Disney really did it right because it felt like everybody had a, a a piece to play in it. And I don't just mean from the cast and for the characters and anything like that. I mean, even the guests like there was all there was something to to really rein in. I mean, it was the end of a it was the end of a millennium. So everybody could immediately think back to the best times of, of what they you know, what they celebrated, whether it was Disney or not within the, you know the time that they were on this earth and then you get into year of a million dreams or you get all, and it's just kind of, or let the memory, let the magic begin or let the memories begin. And it just didn't, it didn't have an energy to it. It, it, it was flat because mm-hmm. it just, there was nothing that you could, uh, nothing that you could really 
add to it. Actually, funny if I could just riff for a second. So when I uh, when I left Disney, I left Disney about 2002, and I got into advertising and I moved to Chicago, uh, where I'm originally from and moved back. And I started an advertising agency where Disney parks was my first client. Like I, I walked in and there's a huge Disney binder and I was like, Oh, you like Disney? And she's like, no, it's your client. Get to work. <laughs> it was, it get, was, uh, get to work. <laughs> yeah. It was actually a little bit later. I think it was 2005 is when I started, but they were just talking about uh, year of a million dreams. And one of the ideas that I came up with was to do uh, a digital time capsule. So think about all the, the times that you went to Disney in the past and try and, you know, we'll bring the pictures, we'll digitize them or create the, we'll give you a camera and create the memories now. And then we will take that and put that into city hall into a time capsule. That's your own. And then you can come back in five and 10 and 15, 20 years and you can open it up and you can, it's like a bank vault, you know, as uh, like a safety deposit box of like your dreams and, and the magic that's happened at Disney to to kind of give it a little bit more magic, you know, to give it to more the, an energy of like there's a reason that I have to to go now because I've got to continue to fill this vault of whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, we'll just do a parade. <laughs> we'll just do a fireworks show. <laughs> fill fill this vault of yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, I got it. Yep, nothing's changed on the inside or the outside. <laughs> it's changed. Oh boy, yeah, <sighs> yeah. So I think um, to go off that point also is like, no matter where you were in the resort, it felt like you were there for the Millennium Celebration. Like, you could be there at the Grand Floridian, or you could be there at the All Star Resorts, and you would see the same banners, get on the same, relatively the same buses go to the same places, and everything was very similar, which you can't say now, or even very shortly after that. It felt very se- segmented after that. Um, but it felt very inclusive of everyone on the resort, which was kind of crazy in a way. But maybe that's just me? Justin, How did can you agree with that? Or is that like just something I was a vibe that I got when I was like 13? No, I, I, I mean, I agree to some capacity with in that, again, going back to the point, like it's the end of the millennium. We're only going to be able to do this once. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was a little bit of a of a deeper ownership by the cast, I would say. And I, I mean, I would say at the time I was at the movie ride, I was also doing tapestry or just getting ready to tapestry. And I was just finishing up entertainment at the water parks. Uh, as a cross you or cross utilization. So I, I could experience a lot of different casts um, and every cast is pretty tight. Uh, but you could, you could get that feeling from everybody of like, this is really cool. Um, but the Epcot cast, I would say it was, a it felt a little bit more alive because it really was the center of, of the, um, the celebration. I mean, like new year's Eve, 1999, the people lined up, people started, getting to the park at one thirty in the morning, you know, and then the lines backed up all the way back to Kissimmee and like, that was the place to be. So mm-hmm. it was just a di- like, I would say that everybody felt it, but it was certainly more, uh, there was a lot more energy of it within the cast of Epcot. And I think just, just because you were living and breathing it every day, more energy than uh, Star Wars galaxy's edge. So whatever, <laughs> just, just, just throwing that. I'm sorry. Was I throwing that one down there right there? I'm sorry. Has oh. that opened? 
Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Star Wars lands? Is that the Star Wars part? Do you know what? I've been on Hagrid's Magical Motorbike Adventure, but I've not been on anything in Galaxy's Edge. I don't know. Is that the Harry Potter part? (laughs) I I think it is. I'm not sure. (laughs) I haven't haven't gone yet, so I'm I'm saving my... my, Saving for when I do go, but it's uh it's a pretty uh pretty tough hole to fill that uh what they got rid of with the backlot tour in New York Street and all that stuff. But that's another day, another story. Yeah. Well, you know what? Nothing's ever gonna fill my heart of the uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire attraction. <laughs> that was okay, legitimately, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is a really good attraction. Like I'm not gonna lie, that was a good attraction. I mean, in in so. the lo- in the very long list of of well done Disney theme park shows, Millionaire is on that list. It is it is really solid. Yeah, I mean, the, I I don't I don't like how they you know stripped away the. You know, you can see the scaffolding on the standings and things like that. I mean, they do the whole "well, it's supposed to look like a movie set" like kind of thing, but it's like, ah, you could have you could have done a little better to make it not look like you know it's under construction right now. Mm-hmm. Also, Jeff, your cousin did win the million dollar prize. Yes. <laughs> and that, oh, cool. And that was back when that was back when they had trips to New York yep. as the prize. Oh wow! And so this was pre nine eleven. Yep. Um, so she won she literally, won literally unique- right before nine eleven. Like well, weeks it, was, before. it was summer, so it was like two months before. Yeah, um, I mean the show debuted in two thousand one, so it wasn't it was you know the trip to New York yeah. was pretty anyway. But yeah, no, she got to go to the actual millionaire set in New York back when it was super popular. She got to meet Regis, and she got to do that whole thing. So that was yeah. So mil- the millionaire who wants to be a millionaire play it has a special place in the uh uh in our family that's awesome yeah yes yeah, so <laughs> anyway to spring it back around to uh million uh millionaire <laughs> oh the the millionaire celebration everyone yes. we're living in it right now um <laughs> The Millennium Celebration. So Millennium Celebration was celebrated throughout all of the Walt Disney World complex. Um, we're going to touch on some of the original attractions outside of Epcot. Because like it was supposed to be all around the resort. So in the Magic Kingdom, Jeff, um, it was going to be the uh, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Remember that? It's still there. <laughs> Isn't it still there? It's still <laughs> like, there. Did it, did it die? Like no, it's still there. But that's ah, <laughs> oh, oh, the memories of the old Winnie the Pooh attraction. But that's was that was the Magic Kingdom's addition was the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, a, a very uh, D- Disney did a great job, um, you know, replacing a beloved attraction and not telling anyone about it. Um, <laughs> And you know, you know, they, they they really know how to please their fans, uh, especially. It's it's a harbinger of what was to come in today's age, pretty much. I mean, it is kind of scary how today's, you know, uh, Disney sort of executive corporate polish just resembles the same company that decided to close Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea without telling anyone. And gave everyone a week's notice before they closed Mr. Toad. Um, but, you know, eh, the same kind of thing. Anyway, what were we talking about? Did you have a question, Joe? Sorry, did I miss a question? Or Winnie you just the, want Winnie the Pooh. The 
Winnie the Pooh attraction, Millennium Celebration opening. Um, what is there to say? It's it's. Uh, I haven't been to Tokyo. I can imagine <laughs> that it's uh, Pooh's Honey Hunt, but I can say that it's better than the version that's in Critter Country. Um, besides that, eh, what can you say about Winnie the Pooh? Besides, you know, it's there. Justin. Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, as a huge Mr. Toad fan, um, because going, you know, since the late seventies with my family. Uh, it was always like the staple attraction that we all enjoyed. So uh, it's there. Yeah, I mean, it occupies space. So that's that's about all I have about that ride. Well, I it mean, so for for a little bit a little bit deeper into the into the background behind here, uh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure the Disney geeks at home listening to this will remember that in the in the late '90s, Disney had over 120 star characters throughout their entire portfolio from you know scrooge mcduck from ducktales to uh to ariel to aladdin to all these different people but none of the characters had a shelf life like mickey mouse did right because mickey mouse was always the star at disney for good reason however you know you might create a character like ariel and then suddenly within two years she's suddenly replaced by Belle. Right. So nobody had the staying power that Mickey Mouse had. And then there was several. Uh, I don't I don't think it was Disney store executive. I think they were I think they were just consumer products executives who really started a just an aggressive campaign to make Winnie the Pooh the next billion dollar Disney character. And this happened through the mid 90s. I mean, uh, Pooh got his own store at uh, what was then the uh, Disney Village Marketplace, which of course turned into Downtown Disney Marketplace. Um, he got his own store. Like he, Winnie the Pooh got stores like on Main Street. He, he had stores like just randomly like in Frontierland at Disneyland where they just like randomly threw Winnie the Pooh stuff. I mean, this sort of model would be repeated later with Pirates of the Caribbean and High School Musical and Hannah Montana and, and name your own favorite Disney franchise here. Um, but th- that was sort of the original that, that, that spawned the, just the legion of demon children, um, <laughs> was Winnie the Pooh that just suddenly out of nowhere got turned into a billion dollar franchise. And so, you know, as, as Pooh merchandise was absolutely taking off, I think at one point, like in 2001, Pooh was making like $3 billion a year or something ridiculous in terms of merchandising sales and, and licenses, um, but in the midst of all this, obviously, the, you know, the the obvious suggestion is, well, we need a Winnie the Pooh attraction. So everything was everything was discussed. And ultimately, they decided to put something into Fantasyland. But this was during the period when uh, after Dick Nunes had left uh, as head of the Disney <laughs> attractions, chairman of Disney attractions, he left in 1994, replaced by Judson Green. Um, Judson Green had this thing that he and Eisner obsessed over, which was that if any new attraction was to be built in a Disney theme park, an old one had to go. That was the rule. Now, obviously, this only has to do with existing theme parks, because obviously they built Animal Kingdom, they built California Adventure in the meantime. Um, But if you put in uh, if you put in attraction, then you had to take another one somewhere in the park out. So we, we would have like things like, you know, Rock and Roller Coaster, which is an incremental attraction. 
But in order to get Rock and Roller Coaster in, they had to take out, I believe it was the making of exhibit back in, uh, back on Mickey Avenue. I think that's the one they took out. We'll, I might we'll be wrong get, about we'll, that. we'll get to that. That's part of the edition. Any, anyway, so Winnie the Pooh yes. was in this, was in this, you know, uh, put an attraction in, take an attraction out period that Disney had. Um, since, since Winnie the Pooh went to the Magic Kingdom, they really didn't care about building new space at the Magic Kingdom because Magic Kingdom was already kind of built out. So, I mean, it was it's basic it's basic corporate logic. It's like, okay, we have this one in one out rule. We don't really want to expand anything. We have a Winnie the Pooh attraction. Doesn't really go anywhere else besides Fantasyland. Okay, let's look at the three Fantasyland dark rides. Which one can we replace? Can't replace Peter Pan. That's too popular. Can't replace Snow White. That that does too much merchandise sales. <laughs> that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, Mr. Toad, bye, Mr. Toad. Here's your your you have here's your here's your two weeks notice. Have a good day. Um, but I mean, that's corporate logic for you. That's, uh, you know, that's the behind the scenes, behind the scenes sort of one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals 10 sort of logic mm-hmm. that everyone has. Um, I don't know, Justin, anything to add? No, I'd say you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I really don't have, um, you know, I don't have a lot of pers- just, I don't think that much about some of the rides that like the, the ones that I don't enjoy. Um, I'm yeah. sure with my kids, we'll ride, probably ride things like Pooh a little bit more, but, um, you know, I, to be totally honest, I don't really hit the magic kingdom that much anymore. Um, I just don't, aside from thunder mountain and space mountain pirates, uh, that's kind of my, my shtick. And then I'm in and out. So I can't even remember the last time I went on Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad, isn't it? You should want to go to magic kingdom. Yeah, I, I know. I think, um, it's just so busy all the time and it's such a hassle to get into. So, uh, like my wife and I have annual passes and when we go, we run the Disney races in January and we stay on property. We will go and we'll have dinner there at one of the, like at Skipper Canteen and then we'll, we'll split. Like we might get fast passes for Space Mountain or Thunder and then that's it. Uh, we'd rather go, well, it used to be the studios, but I don't really know where we want to go now. Animal Kingdom, I guess. Some of Epcot. Mm-hmm. Well... Uh, I'm 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 trying to figure out where we're gonna segue to right now. Uh, let's talk about Hollywood Studios, shall we? So, Hollywood Studios edition was uh Rock and Roller Coaster, Jeff. That was 100 percent a reaction to Islands of Adventure. Oh yeah, of course, 100 percent. Wait, Hulk Coaster, Dueling Dragons. Uh, press the coaster button. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the coaster emergency cord. I mean, it's very obvious. I mean, Rock and Roller Coaster is is not a traditional Disney roller coaster that's built around a, a giant ice cream mountain or a giant, or, you know, play, placed mm-hmm. in the placed in the middle of the set of Gone with the Wind or something like that. Like it's 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 literally just you know it's 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 Outer Limits Flight of Fear with some music, pretty much, and and mm-hmm. some and some glow lights. Way which... way better than Outer Limits. Yeah, yeah. Way better. You. Way better. Okay. Way better. Um and we know we all know the story about how they approach the Rolling Stones first, but they asked for too much money, then they approach U2 and they asked for too much money. So then they went to Aerosmith. Uh, I don't know if they went to anyone else. Joe, have you heard of anyone else besides Rolling Stones, U2 and Aerosmith? I, I feel like they've got to approach many people besides that and Aerosmith was the one who to go like, "Yes, first. That's the only thing I could assume. So yeah, yeah, that's what I heard too. I worked on the um, the press opening of it when I worked at the studios, 
and uh, like I rode with Aerosmith and Monday Night Football did a segment there. And um, so I, I worked with a lot of people that had some experience with the development of the ride. And, you know, honestly, I, I never heard about the, I never heard about the U2 one. I knew about the Stones, but then like someone talked about the Beastie Boys, but then the Beastie Boys were too aggressive and not good <laughs> enough for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there was another one that was like a, Oh, then it was going to be like a classic rock ride. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. So it was going to be like the Almond Brothers and hmm. Jefferson Airplane and all that stuff. And uh, and then Aerosmith happened upon it. And so they said, let's just theme the thing to Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah, I dig it. I, I actually – I'm quite a fan of that ride. As much as I don't like looping coasters at Disney, and it just goes back to my childhood, it feels a little off um, because it doesn't feel like it's a family coaster and it, it's – I know everyone's going to be like, it's totally a family coaster, but in the, tr- in the sense of no, like, no, it's not. Yeah. yeah. It's not. But, so it's, uh, it, it just, it does feel out of place, especially because like sunset is so great with tower and Rosie's and, and the art deco and like the whole with streetmosphere and the music and all that. And then there's like, pff, there's G force records. And, uh, so that was the one thing I was like, oh, I don't really know, but, I actually I don't mind the ride. I I uh I just like the smoothness of it. The theming could come and go. I mean, I think it would be cool if it were something more geared towards that era. Um but uh it's one of those were those newer attractions where I was like, okay, yeah. All right, I'll I'll give Disney a pass yeah, on that one. I I thought I think it's fine. But I mean, Jeff, when it's well, all I mean, sad, it's not fine. It's fun. I mean, I like yeah. the ride. Yeah. It's, that like after after you're used to you know in the 90s we were used to tower of terror and indiana jones and test track and you know everything else and then here comes this you know steel roller coaster in a box Mm -hmm. and it was just a little it it just seemed a little ghetto it just seemed a little uh, like a step down it's a faster superstar limo that's our superstar limo with with loops like that's what we used to joke about that because of the neon and the signs I was like, how Superstar Limo is this? But of course, it's much, much, much better. Yeah, we were actually, um, when I say we, I mean, uh, I had posted the question before when I had actually done a, well, I'll, I'll plug my blog work for Joe here on Parkscope. <laughs> my, my article that I wrote on Superstar Limo, there, there is an ongoing discussion, sort of debate on which which story actually came first, Superstar Limo or Rock and Roller Coaster? Because California Adventure, the original idea for California Adventure was from 1997. That's when mm-hmm. the original concept for DCA 1.0 was. Right. So, yeah. And Rock and Roller Coaster was greenlit very quickly. Um, so it is possible that Superstar Limo, that concept was created first and then Rock and Roller Coaster just because it was, it was going in anyway. So you better get on the bus or leave. You know, they, they, they threw in that Superstar Limo plot line. I mean, it's very possible. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it for sure. Mm -hmm. So the next non Epcot edition for the parks was Cali River Rapids. (laughs) Um, so this is the phase two, non-phase two. So phase two for uh, Animal Kingdom was like supposed to be Beastly Kingdom, but this was the actual phase two of Animal Kingdom, which was Cali River Rapids, which is they, they just delayed Asia. Yeah, yeah, basically. 
And just decided to make it phase two. Yeah. So that was the, uh, yeah. They, they basically delayed a year and said, hey, we're going to open it with the Millennium Celebration. And that's what we have now. So, yeah. Uh, so, Jeff, do you want to talk about Cali River Rapids and the history Can of I it? Can I just refer people to my article on yeah. Cali River Rapids? Yeah, just do that. Yeah, just <laughs> do right, that. Everyone go to parkscope.net. Everyone go to the to the right toolbar map, whatever you call it. And underneath the top 30 Disney attractions never built, one of them is the Asia Safari. And in the Asia Safari article, you will find a lot of words written about Cali River Rapids and the ride that was supposed to be in that space, which was the Asian version of Kilimanjaro Safaris, but it was supposed to be a boat ride um, called, uh, well, the kind of original one was Tiger Rapids, but you know who knows when these names kind of got changed in the in the concept phase. Um, but yeah, you can go there, and that is all my thoughts on Cali River Rapids. So I'll save you some time here. <laughs> was that a Joe Rody attraction? I mean, technically, all of all the Animal Kingdom attractions were supervised by him. I don't I don't know if he was very hands on for each of them. Um, I know he was really, really hands-on with Harambe, like right. really hands-on, like, like actually placing like all, like the bicycles that were you know, <laughs> the run down dirty bicycles outside of Tusker house. Uh-huh. You know? Um, but now I haven't, I haven't heard if how involved he was in the, uh, the Asia safari. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's, that's kind of his, I mean, he, he's, uh, a, political if that's the right term you know he's got a pretty strong opinions on things like politics and environment and all that mm-hmm. stuff and it seems like Cali river rapids is pretty preachy and i don't know if that was uh, like i think personally that might be his vibe but that's not how he would create uh, an experience so i was always curious like and it was part two so did he what involvement did he have after the first you know the the main setup of animal kingdom and then what did he do he was just like by that time he's like yeah i'm exhausted just put anything in there (laughs) right well i mean so thinking about it logically i mean the queue area is very joe roadie um i mean it's it's like it's very similar to everest it's very similar to kilimanjaro safaris where it just has that it has that same sort of feeling Uh um and at that time you know, the, the pre Paul Pressler time, like I, I doubt that anything at animal kingdom got green lit without Joe Rody's blessing. So I think there is that element to it. So I'm sure he at least had some say in it, but again, I don't know how deeply involved he was. I have a feeling like it seems more logical that he would have, he would have been involved in the original Asia safari that actually had like the, the animals, the tigers and everything. And then Disney, for whatever reason, just decided to make it more of a, a shoot the rapids thrill ride, and then he got bored with it and just gave it to someone else. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And then he just signed off on it and was like, "Yeah, it sounds good." You know, I mean, there, were, there was probably also pressure on him because Animal Kingdom, when it opened, did not do as well as they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So he was probably he's probably started to get pushed a little bit to the side, and the Disney executives were like, "Yeah, no, we're building a thrill ride." Thanks mm-hmm. for playing. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. Now, obviously, the the actual attraction, Cali River Rapids, not including the queue area, but the actual attraction, is is not in the same style of the guy who you know supervised the Adventurers Club. 
Yeah, that's my take on it, too. It just seems superficial, and the story just doesn't feel like it was... It doesn't feel very Animal Kingdom to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. Mm-hmm. So, we're here. <laughs> we're at Epcot now. Man, Epcot. They did a lot of stuff at Epcot, right? <laughs> um, so, I guess we can start with the entrance. Uh, the The entrance... <laughs> Which is now being unceremoniously ripped out, <laughs> um, but was totally redone for the Millennium Celebration twenty years ago. Was Leave a Legacy? Um, oh, <clears throat> yeah. The uh, the Herb Raymond designed Leave a Legacy concept. That I mean, when you when, when you when you mention it out loud, sounds okay, but when in practice, you're like, oh no, this is not good. Yeah. Oh no! Uh, well, originally, weren't they yeah. supposed to have? What wasn't Leave a Legacy supposed to be like with? Uh, not, not it wasn't going to be built on like granite slabs. It was supposed to be on like like see through like crystals, like glowing yeah. crystals. Yeah, yeah, yeah with, it was with water features. So, yeah, I like that better. Yeah, it, this just feels like Disney retail got amok. You know what I mean? It's like how how uh, much more ostentatious could they get by saying give us forty dollars or whatever it was and we will we will etch your face (laughs) on a tombstone for all the world to see for the next you know whatever uh that's what we used to joke about it all the time we're like wait what (laughs) what are we doing how are we so this is going to be in the front of the park what about the fountain and and all that stuff and yeah it was gross but uh but I gotta say, it's a funny thing. So, do you guys remember the walk around the world the that they just ripped up at the kingdom? Yeah. So, I used to date a lot, and like whoever I was dating, <laughs> whoever I was dating at the time, I would get like, oh, you know, like we got a brick for one girl I dated, and then another one we I did the Leva Legacy. <laughs> it's, oh, like, it's like this weird dating conquest. <laughs> It wasn't like I meant to do it like, I'm going to do this. Now I'm going to do this. It was just like the uh, at the time, I was probably dating. I, I have emotions. And I just need to get a brick and I need to get a title <laughs> yeah, but, now. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. And I'm still friends with those girls that I dated. We've all grown up and gotten married and, and all that stuff. So everyone's cool. But we joke about that all the time. And uh, she's like, yeah, did you ever find the brick that you got from the Magic Kingdom? It's like, don't you mean leave a legacy? And she's like, I wasn't leave a legacy. And I was like, oh, that was so Never insane. mind. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was testing you. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah. I mean, leave a legacy was just an, a, it was just an obvious follow-up to the, uh, to the Magic Kingdom bricks, the walk around the world bricks for the 25th anniversary. I mean, they made so much money by selling bricks. That they were like, what else can we do to to rip people off? Yeah, they're like, well, we know Justin's going to date someone else, so we can get his yeah, money. Right? Yeah, he's an easy sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see it go. I was just kind of, I mean, I, yeah, in, in on paper, I'm sure it was very neat and magical, but um, just in in practicality, was a bit of an eyesore. It was an eyesore. It was a mess. Mm-hmm. That's my take. Talking about an eyesore. Um, Impracticality. Go holy for sh- it. Holy shit, the wand. I know. Oh <laughs> man. Um so I'm gonna be the first person to say this. The wand during the twentieth celebrate the twentieth, the the two thousand millennium celebration, not that bad. 
like 2000, you know, everything, not that bad. It's just when they put Epcot up there. and That's what I was going to ask. I yeah. was going to say, what what iteration of the wand? Because I don't disagree. Um, the, the biggest, and this one always drives a wedge between one of my listeners and I for some reason, mm-hmm. is the hat. The hat in front of the great movie ride. Hat Everyone's sucks. Like, yeah, they're like, how how did you not love that? And I was like, don't you obviously well, that, are, are that, the hat? The hat always sucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the two thousand on on Spaceship Earth as it, it was as tasteful as an eight hundred, you know, like a hundred ninety foot wand can be. It was the two thousand was great. It was that Mickey hand on the bottom, and then the Epcot on the side. Like what? How much do you think that that costs to change that over? And do you? So people are like, Jesus Christ, where's that? Oh, there's Epcot. I can see. It, it, it's can cheaper. See to, it's cheaper to change 2000 to Epcot than it was to remove it totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like someone like, hey guys, we still have 18 million dollars in the budget, and I have to use it by the end of Q3. Can uh, who's uh, got ideas? Oh God, too much of that going around. Um, I mean, putting it, I mean, I, yeah, I, I totally agree that if they had just kept that wand up for the millennium celebration, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. Um, putting it in, into perspective with the hat and the wand and the Pepto-Bismol cake that the Cinderella castle oh, became for the oh, 25th woof. anniversary of the three of them, the wand is probably the most tasteful. Um, I don't know. The cake was pretty photogenic. I mean, oh we god. got some really good shots. Oh god! The, <laughs> oh, oh man! The uh, oh the decoration that canceled a thousand weddings. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, if the wand had 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 just been up for Millennium Celebration, I think it would have been fine. Um. But by the way, kudos for them for actually taking it down when they you know they could have just left it there. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, seven years too late, but still, they could have left it up forever, and they didn't. They took it down. So at least, you know, you know, give, give them some credit when credit's due. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Yeah. They, they took some of Siemens' money and went, yeah, we're going to take the shit down. So, <laughs> yeah, Siemens was probably like, uh, listen, you – yep, this looks good. This looks good. Yep, yep. I like uh, the new narrator. What is that wand? That has to <laughs> What is that? Yeah. Like, so nope. you, you have two that, options. We can that is not on my attraction. Yeah, exactly. You, you have two options. You can do an actual descent, or you can remove the wand. And they're like, "We'll re- remove the wand." Yeah, no, <laughs> remove the wand. Yeah. Remove the wand. Remove the wand. <laughs> yeah, done, yeah, done deal. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's uh, the wand, as I have, I have in our uh, show notes. So uh, our next uh, kind of. Thing to talk about is Interventions, The Road to Tomorrow, which is the 2000 version of Interventions, along with the pin station and trading and the awnings. <laughs> Joe, this one's yours. Take it away, Joe. Uh, yeah. So Innovations, Interventions, The Road to Tomorrow, um, East and West is just basically Interventions. Like, I don't really have a list of what's new, except they just made a road through like so so interventions was just like a crazy ces experience on both sides that mm-hmm. they they had to redo multiple times because it never worked um as we found out um but in 2000 they decided hey we're going to put a road through both sides 
like an actual walking path that you could walk through and figure out where you wanted to go to. You're mad, Joe. Mad, yeah, I say. I, I know. <laughs> um, with a start and end, so you could go through these experiences. And that's kind of what they did. And they also incorporated um, Tom Morrow. Was it Tom Morrow 2.0 or something like that? Yeah, 2.0. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 2.0. Uh-huh. And he's the guy from uh, the Disney, uh, the Disney Channel uh, Innovation Specials. Imagineer oh. that. Yeah, exactly. Imagineer that. Was it? Wasn't it Nathan Lane? Wasn't that the? No, Nathan Lane was Tom Morrow for the Disneyland version. Oh, I thought oh, they the brought both uh, sides. Yeah, no, it, he was the one uh, in the the interventions in the carousel building at Disneyland. Right. They actually okay, had yeah. a pre-show where you would mm-hmm. stand, you would stand on the on the platform, right. and Nathan Lane as Tom Morrow would talk to you. Um, but no, uh, the 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 one in, at Epcot was the little guy, the little like wiry kind of guy. Oh, that's right, at the entrance and the exit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, super super small. So. Um, Again, I don't remember what the ex- exact exhibits were because, man, it's interventions. It changes every like six. Well, they had the they had the home theater, uh-huh. right? Oh, yeah. The home theater, whatever Lutron, whatever it was called, and then the house of House of Tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, and then then they had a car. Do you remember there was a car with all the speakers in it? It was uh, it was like Bang and Olufsen or something. Or Harmon Kardon had a car made out of speakers. Probably no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Why not? And then Interventions West had like, Interventions West was all Sega Genesis games. Yeah, that sounds Dreamcast. That sounds right. That sounds Dreamcast. You're right. Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. that sounds about right. Sure. Yep. I think we've spent if we've gone five minutes, I think we've gone four minutes and fifty eight seconds too long on the segment. Yeah, <laughs> it was just such a, um, it's just a mess. Anything. I mean, Communicore, the funny thing is everyone loves Communicore and, and I love Communicore and, and learning all about offshore drilling and telecommunications. But like, it's so funny to hear people be like, Communicore was the absolute pinnacle of Epcot. And how dare, you know, corporations get involved in Disney these days. There's the arguments like that. And I was like, dudes, Communicore was as advertising-y as possible. It is literally exhibits based on corporations. I mean, literally, you're drilling in the in the North Atlantic for oil, and you're making calls on a video phone through AT&T. Like, all this is is just showing off corporate sponsorships. And they're like, no, no, it's not exactly. And I was like, mm, just own it. Just, I'm fine with it. It was okay. We all had a good time. We all enjoyed ourselves. I think, it, I, I think the big miss there is they wanted it. They wanted interventions to be more like a electronic trade show. So they just blacked out all the windows. Yeah. And awful. like, like just looking at pictures of Communicore versus interventions. It's like, my God, just the natural light just makes all the difference in the world. Communicore was so underrated. And it's so funny because everybody laments it now, which I do as well, because it was just such it was at a time where it was okay for companies to tell you what they're doing but do it under the guise of education and you're like and they're like practical sets and experiences and then interventions just turned into like a lot of neon like bells and whistles and buzzing things and oh wasn't there also the thing where there was some was it underwriter underwriter laboratories is that what it was where you could take the, the oh yeah the, oh yeah the, the pitchfork or you could take yep. the thing and you could hit the TV mm-hmm. or you could oh, drop yeah. something on the seat you could pull you could yeah. pull up on the rope and then the giant uh, sledgehammer would pull up and it would yeah that's another right. 
like another like tick on the the digital sign and it would drop down and hit the television. Oh yeah, that was yeah. Under, Underwriters Laboratories. Yeah, yeah. Great, so I think great exhibit, by the way. <laughs> I really think it's just they did whatever they could do, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like it's just like the fiftieth anniversary of like there's so many things happening, but not everything can get done. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe intervention is one of those things where it's like, all right, we're going to cut budget because we've got to do X. We've got to do Y. Or, you know, remember Test Track was a total mess then. It kept shutting down and starting back up, and it was like six months or eight months late. Um, so maybe that's where the money went. But, yeah, interventions and the whole pin trading and awnings, I I just don't understand any of that. <laughs> I don't I don't judge anybody for doing that. I just don't. It's not my not my thing, the pin trading. Yeah, so screw the pin trading, and let's just segue into Test Track. So Test Track was actually technically part of the Millennium Celebration, um, because it was delayed so long (laughs) that... um, Well, Joe, we're going to give you this segment, too. (laughs) Yeah, so Test Track was kind of my thing for a while. It was like this attraction, this holy grail attraction that was supposed to open in 2007, and then 2008, and then it finally opened... 1997? Yeah, two, what was I talking about? Two thousand seven. Yeah, it's supposed to open in nineteen ninety seven, then nineteen ninety eight. Finally opened in nineteen ninety nine, and it was this crazy technological ride, and they're advertising it for the Millennium, Millennium Celebration. So, yeah, so, you, know, you, you have like books on Test Track, and you absolutely love Test Track. So, what was what was it when it first opened that made you so uh, enamored with it? It's because it was the first attraction when I got into Disney parks that was still under construction. Like for some people, it's Everest or Mm -hmm. Animal Kingdom or Tower of Terror or whatever. And for me, it was it was the it was the next big thing factor for you. Yeah, exactly. Like we went to the parks. You know, we we would ride Horizons. You know, we do everything and the whatever. But Test Track's coming soon, and it's like, oh, what's what, what's this? This it must be clearly way better than what we've been on before. You know that kind of thing. So, guys, I just have to laugh. My my thing. Sorry, really quickly. My yeah. thing is is Epcot, like the building of Epcot. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that was my thing. But I was just like, oh, I can't a whole other park. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Uh oh, I'm old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're building a second park. Yeah, my exactly. God. And the monorail is going to go there, and it actually works. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could say that about now too. It goes there and it works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is the monorail working, please? No, it, yeah. it, it it did not work last night. That's actually yeah. news. Is that it did not? Jeff, they stranded about a hundred people. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I saw Bergen's post on that. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted at people to just listen to my podcast while they're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if any. I wonder if anyone actually took you up on that. <laughs> what a coincidence! If one of the hundred people in Monorail Yellow actually was listening to your podcast at the time. Yeah. Um, no, that was to follow up your point, Joe. Um, that was still a period when we trusted Disney to make new rides better. Yep. Mm-hmm. We still trusted them, even though they kind of broke our trust a couple times in the late '90s. We still, we still gave them the benefit of the doubt at that point, and we just assumed that. And this was Epcot's first real thrill ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could pretend Maelstrom and Body Wars were thrill rides, but yeah, not really. Um, this but was this was this was also like to interject. This was 
the first real glimpse at new technology too, new mm-hmm. new vehicle technology when you know all the the wheels had independent motors and they have independent steering and it's literally uh, on a road that goes 65 miles an hour it's kind of funny now because this technology is advanced in some capacity to make the test track feel outdated but at the time it was awesome i mean especially like so uh neither of you guys have worked for the parks right i have actually did you oh so you worked at disney world uh both okay so you know so you know like at epcot there's the cast the cast wardrobe building is basically just outside of like the big loop in the back of Epcot Mm -hmm. uh, or the back of test track. So you would come out of casting or come out of costuming. Uh, At this time I was, this was 99. So I was going to tapestry rehearsals or tapestry parade and uh, you'd see spoilers for everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) You, you'd see the, the cars going around the track sometimes they'd be going around at 50 miles an hour sometimes they'd be going around like at two miles an hour like they'd be creeping mm-hmm. with like maintenance dudes all around watching it and you know there'd be buckets of water in in the seats and so you got this really cool glimpse of this new vehicle but just enough for it to have a mystique and world of motion is like one of those you know purists like i, I love world of motion i would love to see it come back mainly because it's actual animatronics and set pieces and it tells a story um, but you watch these, these vehicles and you see them parked behind the, you know, on, on, you know, like a fort, like fork, forklift is taking it off the track into maintenance bay and it's, you're walking right by it and you're like, well, it looks really cool. Like that, there wasn't anything like that at the time. So I, I think that's where I was like, this is going to be a really cool attraction. Mm-hmm. Is, is it, tr- is it true? They, they originally wanted it to go hundred miles an hour. I don't know. I know that the, the problem was, is the, f- Obviously, the faster it went, the faster the wheels would wear down. So they used to use rubber tires, like rubber pneumatic tires with air. And then they went to rubber, completely thick tires. And then that, I think something happened where uh, it threw the pin from that holds the track and it, the car fell off the track. And they're like, well, we can't do that. Um, so I think I, maybe that the 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 story compromises. Well, you go 65 miles an hour on a highway. We're testing cars for you to drive. So it makes sense in the story to have it somewhat, uh, realistic. So going a hundred miles an hour would maybe get people to think that they can drive a hundred miles an hour. Hmm. It doesn't, didn't mm-hmm. add to the story. You know what I mean? It might, might take it from realism to fantasy, I guess you could say. Uh, Joe, your your comments on Disney originally wanting Test Track to tie into the Crash Test Tummies Dick craze of 1996. They had walk around Crash Test Tummies. They did. I knew yeah. one of the guys who did it. Yeah. Yeah. That that was the thing, and people don't believe it, and it was crazy. I think. <laughs> I will get him. I will get him on the show if you want. Randomly popular in the 90s for some reason. I don't know why, but it was just one of those things. Please get them on WW Tales because that'd be great. <laughs> I will. I'm already working on some other people, some cast members from Castaway Key, old ones, to get them on too. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be like, I didn't even think about that. I should should tell them about it. Yeah. No, people were like, oh my god, this. What what is this? And it's like, oh yeah, that was the thing. That that happened for a hot second. Um, <laughs> not not long, but it happened. Um, but yeah, Test Track finally opened. And that was part of the Millennium Celebration. So, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go grab a glass of water because my glass of water is low. 
But Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, we ha- we have an attraction to talk about next that I'm just going to mention it. And I'm going to throw my headphones down on the ground and I'm going to go get a glass of water. And I'm just going to mention it and then you can just go off about everything. Sound good? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Yeah, please. This attraction is called Journey into Your Imagination. God damn it! <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> please stand by. Yeah. So, do you want to kind of give everything behind it and why? And there's nothing behind it. It's a piece of garbage. No, no, no. But, but I mean, there's a little bit behind it. But why? Like, why did it go from this crazy cult classic to what it? became to then what it is now and then discuss it and then i'm gonna get some water real quick sound good i think just looking at a picture of dream yeah. finder is more entertaining than that tr- attraction okay yeah i would agree that was my first attractions job was journey of imagination the original that was the first time i went from uh merchandise to attractions and i was like this ride is amazing the guests were like eh, this ride is not amazing it was never busy but uh, yeah, that's this is another one where you're just like, what did they do? Why did they do it? It's you've you've now made things worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's really all I have to say about it. I have great stories about Journey, but not this one. This is a nasty. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, this was during the time when you know all of the a lot of the contracts for the Future World pavilions were either up or were in renegotiations. So. A lot of the future world pavilions were either going to be updated or were going to be replaced or anything like that. So I don't know if Kodak had anything to do with this. Maybe. Um, But I mean, it was one of those things where if if I had – so I think Epcot Center is absolutely glorious. I am am just old enough to kind of remember Epcot Center. Um, But – I like I, I believe Epcot Center was absolutely fantastic. However, if I had a, a, a criticism of it, I would say that too too many of the attractions have sort of the same feeling, sort of the same like theme. Like Magic Kingdom has Adventureland and Tomorrowland and Frontierland, and they are like completely different, right? Whereas in Future Worlds, you have you have World of Motion, you have Spaceship Earth, you have Horizons, you have Universe of Energy, you have Journey to Imagination, you have Living with Land. All of those attractions have a very similar feeling, even though they're not about the same things. And I, I'll bet you, ask you know, at the time, if you were to ask random tourists from Connecticut, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between World of Motion and Spaceship Earth. I mean, show them show them a picture of the cavemen from World of Motion and a picture of the cavemen from Spaceship Earth and be like, which one's which? Like, they won't be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. But they'll be able to tell you, if you show them a picture of Pirates of the Caribbean and a picture of Haunted Mansion, they'll be able to tell you the difference, right? So I think that's my main criticism is like, they, they could have they done, especially since they have individual pavilions sponsored by very different companies, you think they would have branched out a little bit on doing some different attractions, but they just settled on the, you know, the traditional Ford Magic Skyway sort of World's Fair sort of style attraction, right? So one of those attractions was Journey to Imagination. Spaceship Earth, 
a couple of years before had just been remade with the the new Jeremy Irons narration and they had the new the new uh, ending portion. Um, so that wasn't going anywhere. They just put Ellen and Alex Trebek and Bill Nye into Universe of Energy, so that wasn't going anywhere. Um, and now you have Journey into Imagination, which a lot of people don't remember this, but at the time, and to your point, Justin, right before Journey to Imagination closed, it wasn't exactly the most popular attraction. Um, even though Journey into Imagination is great, especially compared to a lot of the attractions that are there now, um, the, the general consensus was that Journey into Imagination was a bit dull, that even though it was very colorful, it was also kind of, especially at the end portion where you go through Dreamfinder and you know the science within sort of uh, scene that they had there. It, it, it it's pretty much it, it's kind of a snooze that scene, and you know uh, that was sort of the general consensus among a lot of the tourists that went to Epcot. So they decided to take out Journey into Imagination, um, but but <laughs> that that was just the original sin. Um, the, after that, there is just no excuse as to, so these stories differ as to exactly what came in what order. The general consensus seems to be the original idea was to replace Journey to Imagination with a flubber attraction. Mm-hmm. It's on the 1997 Robin Williams Disney made flubber movie. Right. And since, you know, Robin Williams was playing a traditional Disney scientist and he was going to be in, you know, the, the remake of Absent Minded Professor. So Imagineering thought that, OK, this is going to be sort of a cool thing to replace Journey to Imagination with. We had Dreamfinder. Now we have this, you know, Disney professor that we've had since the 60s who now Robin Williams is playing him. Maybe we can get Robin Williams into a part or into put him on a screen, put him into an animatronic like we do with Timekeeper. You know, this flubber, this flubber thing could actually go places. But then for whatever reason, either because flubber didn't do as well as they wanted to or maybe Kodak didn't want flubber for whatever reason, they nixed that idea. Then it became sort of a mishmash of. A Monty Python funhouse was sort of the original pitch after the flubber idea. I mean, there was like a million ideas what to replace Journey into Imagination with, but but the the one that stuck was this sort of Monty Python funhouse, um, which I assume the original intention was to get the entire cast of Monty Python into this ride, and you can just you can just see sort of the Imagineering sort of sessions where they're like, hmm, imagination. Who has imagination? Money. Not us. Imagination, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So like literally literally throwing every idea to the wall. And one of them that probably one of the executives liked, I don't know if it was Eisner or who, they really liked this Monty Python funhouse idea. So then that evolved and Disney, I guess, just decided not to spend money on it. So it turned into a combination. Kodak. Of the the flubber, absent-minded professor, Professor Brainerd, sort of imagination institute idea, meld that with the Monty Python funhouse, except completely tear the budget down, and and just put, and just hire Eric Idle, and it's just going to be Eric Idle. He's going to be everything, and he's going to be Professor Brainerd and Monty Python all roll into one. 
and we can we can get both Flubber and Monty Python for a fraction of the price. Isn't this great? Keep getting dem checks, Disney executives. Yeah, I to follow that up with. I I don't disagree. I, it was a uh, it was a mess, and uh, I mean, being there in the front line, like we never uh, front line meaning like you know working the attraction. We you were the literal front line. Yeah, we literally we never had a line. The only time we did was when Honey I Shrunk the Audience would let out, and then people <laughs> would kind of funnel in. Uh, but it actually made for some of the best stories because we just had so much time to goof off on the ride. So, uh, and then I was gone after the, you know, I was long gone by the time that change happened. But uh, it's it was a mess, and then it's still a mess, and I don't know what to do with it. But I hope that they keep the pavilion. There's just talk about like, do we get rid of the whole pavilion and rebuild? Or it sounds like that no, nothing's moving because of all the other stuff from Epcot, at least at this day and time. So. I, I hope that they keep the the building because the building's awesome. Going upstairs and being able to look out over the the glass, but the attraction really needs some attention. It's uh, it's gross. It's just gross. <laughs> I mean, just everything. I mean, it's so sad that you can't really go upstairs, or at least after mm-hmm. you know, Imageverse closed. They have that whole area upstairs, and they just closed it. Yeah, I know it's a drag, and it's not like it costs that much to run. I mean, that that was one spot in rotation. You would image works was a spot in rotation, and then, you know, you would work yeah. the rest of the ride. It's sort of like the Swiss Family Treehouse. Yeah, it's, it's one cast member, if that, and only during busy periods. Mm-hmm. When you're in the uh, ATT rotation, the Latin <laughs> Treehouse Tiki rotation, <laughs> right? You get you get stuck at Treehouse Greeter. So that yeah. reminds me, real quick, they redid the uh, post show for uh, Spaceship Earth of the Millennium Celebration. Remember that? Is the oh, no, that's when I they don't actually. That's but when they like, turned into the global neighborhood, right? Yeah, exactly. Global neighborhood yeah. with the welcome um, to the new global neighborhood. Yeah, with, with the had, with the weird tree and then the interactive rotating like surfing experiences. You yeah, know didn't I mean? they also have the? Um, is that when they had the Alice in Wonderland cast from the Disney Channel with the giant? It was like the. It was like. Uh, surround sound audio it was like the first time surround sound audio was available for consumers and they used the cast from the Alice in Wonderland TV show from Disney Channel and then I, they had the the world's largest phone that you could dial and call somebody I have no idea that? I do not remember that no, exactly I, yeah I don't remember yeah. that at all but it sounds hilariously Disney yeah it was uh it was all you know AT&T but I can't remember what, oh cuz the speaker thing was um it wasn't about surround sound it was there were microphones in the ceiling so that you could sit on your couch and you could just speak to someone through your tv and then yeah I'll, i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere i'm sure somebody has it again it's on youtube someone has it there we go yeah it's, it's got it <laughs> someone has to have it yeah but uh hey I, I, I hate to 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 cut and run but i've got a uh run pretty soon just because you know i've got uh put my kids to my bed. That's Put fine. To bed, but uh, but uh, I, w- I definitely want to talk about um, some more stuff because this is a this is good. So um, what do so, you want to hit next? So what we're gonna? What, do you know what? We'll just jump right to tapestry. <laughs> so Jeff and I can talk about stuff later after you, if you need to leave. But let's talk about tapestry. So Justin, you're part of the A crew for Tapestry Nations. Yeah, I was uh, opening cast as a drummer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so with a lot of shows and casts, there are a cast, B cast, C cast. A cast means it's the five day, like full time cast, and the B cast is the weekend. Uh, and then the C cast are kind of fill in when when necessary. So uh, I was luckily lucky enough to get selected as a as the A cast and uh, spent many 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 a day up on the drum float. Uh, up until the end of Tapestry of Nations, I didn't do Tapestry of Dreams. I'd left by then, but uh, uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, mm-hmm. just, just so many great stories from it. Yeah, so um, Tapestry of Nations is an incredible parade. <laughs> uh, if if, you, if uh, y'all have not seen it or don't know what the, the scope of it, it was basically from – it was from Mexico to – Germany, Germany to Morocco, and then Morocco to the UK. It was like three separate parades going on at the same time. Um, and it had so- many, many puppets, multiple drum units, three sages of times, which were basically giant stilt-walking figureheads, is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and the parade was incredible, and I love it to death. It's It's... One of my absolute favorites. Um, Jeff, any input on Tapestry? Oh, Tapestry's all you, Joe. Okay, yeah, this is all me. Um, yeah. No, this is my this is my jam. No, this is always my stuff. Uh, we got the uh, Parade CD when I was at uh, the Millennium Celebration, and I would play it, like, every morning, and it would drive my sister up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I I mean, I don't know where to start with Tapestry Nations. Um so what, what for me what's interesting is that uh you were starting it in June 20 not 20. June 1999, right? G- give or take. Yeah, like, I I want to say um maybe uh I can't remember when we when the auditions happened. It must have uh-huh. been June or July. Um but basically I was at the movie ride a friend of mine saw an ad mm-hmm. in our Disney intranet it said looking for dancers of a certain height and then drummers and uh I I tried out for a couple other things and uh you know Disney's for musicians is is one of those places where it's like the the best musicians it's like Nashville or LA or mm-hmm. or whatever it's kind of people just kind of find their way at Disney and and it's tough to um it's tough to get the gig because there's so many great musicians. But uh, so I went in. I didn't go in expecting much. But this was back at the old Live Oak rehearsal space, which is back by the old uh, softball fields behind Fort Wilderness and uh, and Port Orleans and uh, uh, whatever that is. It the Ritz or is it the other one? Four Seasons. I think it's behind the Four Seasons now. But uh, I went in and there were like a hundred cats just hanging out. Most of them knew each other from working at Disney or um, working in drumline or being in drumline together or working at other shows. And I just came in and, and, uh, did my thing and, you know, held my breath and, and, and just played the best I could. And then, uh, one of the guys who was, who wrote the actual drum music, he, uh, asked me to, to play something else and I played it and he's like, all right, great. Yeah. You're hired. It was just like that. And, yeah. uh, it was, and, and, it was and if any, and if anyone wants more information on this, uh, go check out the WW tales podcast. Because there's a two-part Tapestry of Nations uh, podcast on all the music and the audition process and everything. Yeah, uh, thanks, so, man. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, but also like, man, it's like 
an hour and a half of like information. So <laughs> way better than we can do. <laughs> that's the most badass thing I've heard all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So on that the episode, I I play some of the music and I take it uh, take everyone through the audition process. What's funny is um, my wife and I went on a di- oh, sorry my girlfriend at the time uh, uh, who's not my girlfriend and not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, awkward. Uh, awkward. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. She also yeah. not in the Leave a Legacy. That was somebody yeah. else. <laughs> but, <laughs> Okay. Uh, we we both worked at the parks and we went on a Disney cruise because you can go for super cheap, like flying standby. And the day we got off was the day that the entire cast, all casts of Tapestry Nations, met at the Contemporary Resort. And that's when we met Gary Pabin, who put the show together, and we saw Michael Curry's puppets. We heard the music. We heard, learned about Illuminations, and uh, it was it was like the coolest thing ever. It was just everyone was so amped and so jazzed and then we started getting into rehearsals and the rehearsals were like 11 o'clock at night to seven in the morning and it was just a trip to be on the world showcase promenade playing this music and then they're they're testing the fire barge and in the lagoon all this this is going on and uh it's there's nothing more surreal than going to a place when you're a little kid and walking around and then taking that experience and adding it to something that you've spent your whole life doing, which is playing music, putting the two together and then doing it at four o'clock in the morning when it's like super quiet. No one's out except all these people who dress like puppets and fellow drummers. It's, it's indescribable. It really is. And it's, um, there's no way to, to really put any type of, uh, color on it that could do it any justice. Like I couldn't, it's like going to the Grand Canyon, you know, in the morning. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like that might be a little dramatic, but that's the way it felt because yeah. of just all the stuff that came together. It was, it was a total trip. It's such a, and the parade was so well received. And it's a really simple parade if you think about it. And I think that's what made it so great is it it fit in all the countries because it wasn't Donald or Daisy or Goofy or whatever. It was it was a vision of somebody's vision that tied into the location that it was in through color or through music or, or whatever. And uh, I think that's why it works so well. And people just really gravitated towards it. And it was a, it was a trip. It really was. Nice. Um, so what, the one, one question I did have. Um, so when you did the whole entire uh, cast preview at the Contemporary, did they actually have the puppets there? Or was it just like, like photos of them? No, they had basically drawings. I think they had one okay. or two that somebody came out and they walked up and down. I can't quite recall. Okay. They didn't have them all. The My girlfriend at the time, she was a Sprite, which was more the dancer. Yeah. They I, were yeah. – they didn't – with the full puppets. They didn't have that. They didn't have a drum wheel. But they had uh, you know, like Discman and Hammerman and Marionette, reverse okay. Marionette. Yeah. And the sage, I think they didn't have the sage, but they had a huge mock-up of what the sage was going to look like. And so everyone's like, whoa, like this is Disney had never done anything like this before. And you're just like this, you're, you felt like you were part of something pretty historical and, mm-hmm. uh, it was just incredible. And then the day of like, uh, you know, New Year's Eve, it was just in, like the park was just, I've never seen it so packed in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a whole thing with the millennium village where I think Israel had a, had a section in there and then people of Arab countries were upset that Disney had something from Israel and they were threatening to do something to the park. And so we had unarmed or we had, uh, not unarmed. We had uh, a plainclothes, uh, security, like not mm-hmm. just Disney security, but like 
federal security uh, walking the promenade. And you could hmm. tell, um, you know, but but during that time, I, you're just taking it all in because you're you spent all this time practicing all this music. And uh, and now it's it's all here and everyone's cheering at you. And there's you know, there are tons of cameras everywhere because they're filming all these things for around the world to use for press. And it's, and, uh, and there's armed security. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, and there's just you know dudes making sure that nobody goes ballistic on your your RPU or rolling percussion unit or yeah. drum float. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, crazy, yeah. absolutely insane. <laughs> it was that parade. It, 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 it there's so many again funny stories. Like one time, so those drum wheels are the RPUs are really heavy. Like they've got these these iron wheels because of the weight. Mm-hmm. of the two drummers and the mechanics and the drums and all that stuff. One of the wheels came off. So if you go up, when you're going up, um, you know, the bridge going from France to the UK, it's like a two part bridge. You kind of go, you, t- yeah. you turn around France. So that's where it was going up. And then the wheel just popped right off. As soon rolled. as soon as you said going up, I'm like, Oh, he's got to be going up that bridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And it just rolled right off. Uh, another time, the the motors of the drum wheel uh, caught on fire, and <laughs> my buddy, my buddy Jeff, we call him G off, but his name's Jeff. He was the performer on that float. He jumped off, and he got in trouble for jumping off the float, for like jumping out of the out of character, so to speak. And he's like, the the RP was literally on fire. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna give me a point. Safety before, safety before show. Exactly. Yeah. Safety before show. Four keys. Yeah. We got, uh, there was a, that show was also like a band going on tour because there was so much debauchery, whether it was at the Ale House or Vista Way or someone's apartment <laughs> or in between parades. There's the, you know, 730 and the nine o'clock parade or the 645 and the, the 845 parade. And uh, the time in between was just, we were left to, you know, all these performers. There were 100, 100 performers a night. We're all actors and, and musicians. And so things got a little rowdy <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still talk to the guys, a lot of the guys to this day, and we still laugh about all the, the stuff that we've done and uh, some of the stuff I care not to to, to share. But uh, <laughs> about other stuff, it's just I, I spoke a lot about it in my episode too. But, um, yeah, I, I would say that that was – just a lot of fun there was uh there was a part of the show where it's a very slow motion where the the mirror balls on the floats turn on and you would do very uh erotic slow motion <laughs> dancing <laughs> you're supposed to be you're supposed to be fake drumming right you're i would say like, exaggerated yeah but yeah erotic yeah. i guess maybe no it was pretty erotic <laughs> okay <laughs> so we'd see how far we could get away with it before um someone reported us <laughs> Yeah, well, we were just that young to think it was exaggerated, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And and going into Illuminations, too, that's my favorite fireworks show. It always will be. The music's insane. I mean, Gavin Greenway's a genius. The guy who produced it, Steve Scaria, I went to high school with his daughter. We were in drumline together. And uh, he also worked on a, he worked on a, just a ton of Disney music. Phantasmic, I think he wrote that. And uh and so I, like, I had a kind of a connection outside of just working at the parks, but I knew the people putting this stuff together and, and uh, I had a history with them. So uh, I, I just can't say enough good things about it. And uh, next week, the cast is getting back together for the 20th anniversary. 
in Orlando. So a lot of people are going down and I was getting ready to go, but I'm actually on baby watch. My wife is expecting and she's like really close to popping. So I can't go anywhere. Okay. So, <laughs> so okay. So are you guys going to like just put on the puppets again and do the drums or you're just going to hang out and grab a beer at ale house? Yeah. I think the big thing is everyone's just, there's a big, um, I think, uh, we rented out a rehearsal or we rented out a, a event space and, uh, we're getting, um, custom mag- magic bands, specifically for the, this cast we had put together by Disney. And uh, so uh, I'm really sad to be missing it. I'm truly sad because I also missed the movie ride closing because, again, with my other son, since mm-hmm. kids get, get into my travel. Damn but, kids! Uh, ah. I know, exactly. But uh, uh, I was really hoping that Disney would do a 20th anniversary of the parade and just do, like, Mexico to Germany or something like that just for, like, yeah. you know, a month. Uh, Because the puppets do exist. The puppets are still around property. Some of them do. Yeah, there used to be a rehearsal or an event space at the studios um, that was Uh, one of the sound stages by the old Backlot Tour, and they have like 10 or 15 puppets in there. Yes, and also there are still puppets around some of the engineering buildings, from my understanding, like hung up. Oh, up on the wall, yeah. Uh Yep, um, that they exist there. So it like it's not impossible for it to happen but yeah damn. i know most of the rpus are gone because we um yeah i could imagine a lot of us got the drums that came off and we all signed and, yeah. and gave to each other but uh doesn't mean that they couldn't whip one up or I mean, like they could get the or like four could, i mean come yeah. on that's what we're really required for a parade right they, they could change 2000 to epcot on the wand they can't whip up a, <laughs> yeah. a drum wheel. yeah exactly uh-huh. but just God, just don't make it tapestry of dreams. Whatever you do, make it tapestry of yeah. dreams. You know, oh. I was kind of glad that I wasn't in that show. I, I, yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> I didn't I'm see sorry. much of it. I think I saw it once after co- coming back as a guest, like the following summer. And I was like, ooh, I'm like all my friends are like, don't see it. There's, you're just gonna, it's gonna sully the memories that you have of the original parade. Um, but I mean, it was fine. It was just the, the characters were kind of funky. Um, and it's tough when you play that show, when you play Tapestry Nations every night of your life for almost two years, and then mm-hmm. you hear the alternate, it just feels feels weird. Well, I mean, it's not like they tried to make the uh, segment where they removed the Millennium Celebration music and put in their weird You're a Hundred Dream, Hundred whatever things, you know what I... You know what I mean, the... What what was the celebration they were doing? Was it? I was like the the it wasn't they weren't they the Dreamcatchers or something? And yeah, like the the the, the Walt Disney's hundredth birthday or whatever. Hundred years yeah. of magic. Yeah, hundred years of magic. They like uh, inserted the hundred years of magic music in it, and it just was like terrible, and it was real bad. And yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate. But um, to be a part of the of Tapestry of Nations and to be to be able to do it the way that I did it, I think is something that few were able to do and not not to say it's exclusive um by any stretch of the imagination but but it's just uh instead of looking up at the floats or looking at the 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 puppets it's the drummers and the puppets being able to look back and see like how much the guests love it and some of the guests actually didn't love it like there are times where i'd have like a bunch of kids or a bunch of people being like what the hell is this or like <laughs> kind of like ridicule i threw a drumstick at a, at a kid a teenager once <laughs> because he was like you know he's kind of following the flow and he was being a, a kind of a pain in the ass so i just i didn't hurl it at him but 
I I threw you it. You tossed him. it at and, him. Yeah, and I was, and then the, the the like the operator, the attractions person doing parade control. She's like, "Did you drop your stick?" And I was like, "Yeah, thanks." You know, back to the show. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it was cool. You know, there was a, a drum corps international uh, band out of uh, New Jersey called the Bergen Cadets. And they actually did the Millennium Show. Their their performance for the year for competition was the Millennium Show. So they did tap some tap some of Tapestry, some of Illuminations. They cut it all together into a you know a, a football field like presentation. But then they were there for the DCI Championships, and then they got to watch the show. And it was actually pretty intimidating because those dudes are like sick, sick, sick drummers, like really good, <laughs> very technical guys. And I'm up here in this like orange and orange and blue unitard, yeah. <laughs> you know, in this weird hat. Um, doing my thing, but, uh, yeah, it's just exciting because, um, you know, very few people can kind of be like, oh yeah, I, I, I've had a similar experience. That's, that's amazing. So I don't want to keep you any longer than you need to. Do you need to go take care of the kids? Yes, I am. I'm going to jam. Um, okay. This was so much fun guys. I, I, I truly appreciate being able to just to talk Disney stuff. A lot of times when I do this, it's like, what was it like at the great movie ride? And it's usually like, <laughs> it's like me going on for like 45 minutes. And, and I truly like to talk about other things, Disney than just what I've done. Um, so this mm-hmm. was great. And anytime, um, you'd like to have me on, I'm, I'm happy to come back on and talk more about it. Yeah. If you want to ever come back on and talk about your stuff at universal studios, whatever you want to do, man. Um, I, I just been catching up on all your, uh, WW Tales podcast stuff, so don't worry about it. So th- <laughs> I I appreciate it. Yeah. So if anyone wants to listen, go to WW Tales and uh, listen to Justin's stuff. So Justin, uh, yeah, go enjoy your night. Let us let us losers <laughs> talk about more Millennium Celebration stuff at like one a.m. on East Coast time. <laughs> I I would be if I could, I would be right there with you guys. So, I know. Uh, yeah. So again, uh, yeah. If you want to listen to anyone, WDW Tales, uh, or uh, I'll come back on anytime. We'll we'll chat. That sounds fantastic. Go All take right. care. Take care, fellas. Yep. See you later, man. Right. Bye, Justin. Bye. See you. Bye. Uh, I feel like the biggest loser right now. <laughs> you want to talk about the half the Super Bowl show? Yeah. I mean, might as well. I mean, we just covered Tapestry of Nations, so let's talk about the Super Bowl show. So, um. Do you want to kind of lead that, or do you want me to lead that? You you know more about that than I do. Yeah, so the Super Bowl show, um, I rewatched it today, because, of course, um, that was for... God, what, what Super Bowl was that? Um, uh, that was the... Uh, well, it was the January 2000 Super Bowl, but that was the, the Rams and the Titans. So this was the Kurt Warner Greatest Show on Turf, St. Louis Rams. Um, was it was it thirty six? Oh, 30? I don't remember. Yeah, I have no, um, it, was, it was something like that. I I, I want to say thirty six or something of that nature. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl sure. 30, 36, I think sounds about right. But basically, it was. Oh boy, that was a thing. <laughs> um, so basically, in, it involved a bunch of. It, it, I mean, it was a giant sort. It, it, it was before they went real crazy with the Super Bowl at like halftime shows, but also when they were still going crazier. Does that make mm-hmm. sense in a way mm-hmm. where they didn't get their final? They they'd never reached their final power state, but <laughs> they <laughs> they um they still were, were like working on it. So it was like this giant like circular area with the giant like 
clock in the middle, but they're still figuring it out. So the backdrop was the giant Sage of Time that would drop, that would raise and lower um, the kind of the figure, and it would also drop the giant drapes. Um, but they would also have puppets coming in into this giant center area and leaving, and they would have Enrique Iglesias and someone else singing. <laughs> and like all these people, like these very early 2000 singers. And they also had Peter Gabriel perform some of this. Was it Peter Gabriel from uh, Tarzan? Or is it? Yeah. No, right? Peter Gabriel wasn't in Tarzan. It was. Uh, Who was uh, it? How am I not remembering? Phil Collins. Phil Collins. I'm, yeah, Phil there you Collins. go. Tarzan, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Phil Collins. And Phil Collins did a song. So Phil Collins and his band did a song from uh tarzan for the millennium celebration and it was just insane weird bizarre kind of worked didn't work it was it was super bowl 34 okay 34 okay yes um and it has three hundred and fifty thousand views on youtube right now (laughs) okay there we go um (laughs) but yeah it's super weird like it like it, it jumps between tapestry of nations and illuminations and this Tarzan music, and I mean the puppets. I mean they had, they had Tapestry of Nations puppets. They also had these like completely new like singers there who have never been seen before, and they had like these weird costumes that kind of look like giant nuns. <laughs> is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and then they also had like these weird like people who had sticks that were kind of like the drummers but weren't. And then they had drummers who weren't the Tapestry Nation drummers, but they're drummers. But basically, they had Hammerman, Discman, um, they had Angel Girl, and I think that's all the puppets they had. Okay, Angel Girl was the one with the, like the three wings, you know, the giant mm-hmm. one that they would mm-hmm. end the parade. That was the one they had there. Discman was like the giant bouncy one, and then Hammerman was like, you know, the one that looked like hammered metal. So Wait. that's a bit. Wait, Disney what? did the 1995 Super Bowl halftime show, and it was themed after Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. What? Yeah. It's real? Yes. But, what? Okay, but, I, have to, I have to watch this after we're done here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll watch it after this. So that was the Super Bowl halftime show, which is super bizarre and weird. And I, I don't know how – it, it was really weird. But I think the craziest thing – was that was when they had the giant ice storm in Richmond, Virginia. And I okay. never got to see that live. So I saw it years afterwards. Uh-huh. Like, I think, like, on WW Magic or something. Like, they had it uploaded, so I downloaded it. And I got to see it way afterwards. Like, Jeez. Yeah, so, like, I never saw it. I'm like, okay, that was weird. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's a part of my life now. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, Tapestry. So, uh, do you want to talk about Millennium Village real quick? Um, Millennium Village. Not really much to say about it. How many countries were represented? Do you remember? Maybe a dozen or so. I mean, we had the – so when you walk into Millennium Village, um, for people who have not seen it, um, it was kind of like this giant, like – 
a tr- like uh, like kind of a concourse area with the countries around the edges, and then you'd have this middle gr- middle area that kind of had this like information tree kind of situation going on, and then you could watch a bunch of videos from the History Channel with um, Sam Waterston on it. <laughs> um, and then every once, like every hour or every half hour, someone would be, like from one of the countries would be like, they would like do a thing where like every country would like introduce themselves in like the main atrium and then you'd walk through and there was a putt-putt in Scotland and then there was a Saudi Arabia kind of pop-up book and then there was a... Um, uh, Sweden had like these walk around chambers mm-hmm. on the second story. So you'd go like every chamber was like a different season and you'd walk through it and like how it was totally different. And then they had a, uh, what was it? Like a food area. And mm-hmm. that would be like this, like it, it was like in the back right area. It was like, like a bunch of food. T- stop me if this sounds familiar. A bunch of food booths in Epcot where you could sample various food options. For, I wonder for, if they should expand that idea. For less than normal entree prices. Just oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That doesn't ring a bell, sorry. So you could do that, and then there was also Israel, which had the motion simulator attraction, if you don't, if you remember that. Israel had a motion simulator? Yeah, you don't remember that? I know. I, I barely remember anything about Millennium Village. Yeah, it was like Journey. Like twice. It was like called Journey to Jerusalem. And it was like a motion simulator. You had a pre-show, and then you had the motion simulator, and you had, in the back, you had like a sitting area. So you could just sit if you never wanted to ride it. And it was like this weird uh-huh. kind of motion simulator about the old times and like the old... It was very kind of boring and basic, but... That was what uh, what uh, Justin was talking about about you know people protesting was like this very basic boring thing. <laughs> but no, they had a motion. They had a motion like, simulator. Guys, it's not that exciting. Just, just 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 let them have their little simulator, okay? It, it, it was kind of like Minions, you know, like that kind yeah. of. It was like kind of that scale, maybe mm-hmm. less, but that uh, that idea, and then. Um, then I think there was like another country, I forget which one it was, but then you'd walk through a shopping area. So you'd like have like a small area as you walk to the exit that was just sh- shops and like very much like an indoor um, exhibit area. And that's where I got my ma- Marking the Millennium book right here is what I'm referencing for all this stuff. Um, that's where I got this book, but... Yeah, so it's been really it, it it was kind of this weird exhibition space, but it was kind of cool in a way because hey, you don't you don't see these kind of small exhibits, especially ones with such details very often. It it felt like this is very like B movie Disney. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like something that Disney would never do anymore because if they would do it, they would make it like a hundred million dollars, or they would not do it. <laughs> so it feels very middle ground, something they would never do again. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of Millennium Village. So, and then it became a pin trading center. Yeah. So or, or hosted the the pin conventions. Yeah. So Millennium Village. Uh, I think. 
kind of went away for a bit. Like, they took it out, and then it was, like, Millennium Village for a while. And now it's World Show Place. Not World Showcase. World Show Place. And Mm -hmm. that's just the indoor, open-air exhibit area. Most famous for hosting Osimo. Yes, I guess. Or whatever specialty exhibit they have in Epcot. So we talked about everything in Epcot, exclamation point, except for one thing, Jeff. As we gather around the fire, <laughs> yes. reflections of Earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're debuting this, I think, the day after this show closes. So this was, this was our entire young adulthood. Yeah. At Disney. Every, every year we went. Illuminations ha- is one of the core memories that we have. Mm-hmm. So, and like, also in a weird way, like, like, so we would start as my family. We would start going with your family in like 2007, 2008. Like again, right? Like sometime when in that you, time frame. You you went with us every other year, right? Yeah, we went every other year, but then we started that time frame. So mm-hmm. by that time. You know, we would then start with Illuminations, and then when we would start doing that, that would then lead to, you know, hey, Illuminations, we would see this multiple times a trip, and we, and that became a thing. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of an end of a uh, era in a way. Yeah, I mean, they just they just keep and they just keep ripping out these uh, these attractions and these shows that we you know have been there for so long. I mean, isn't it amazing that? Reflections of Earth lasted twice as long as most of the original Epcot Center pavilions. It uh, it blows my mind that <laughs> Illuminations 2000 lasted 20 years. Yeah. I mean, j- just the just how fast they were building and replacing rides in the 90s. Uh-huh. Like a lot of the Epcot Center pavilions were replaced within like 10 to 15 years. Ten years ago was two thousand nine. Yeah. So imagine if, imagine if I don't even know what was built in two thousand nine. Let's just say Nemo was replaced. Well, World of, World of Color was twenty ten. Was anything even built in two thousand nine? I don't even think it was. Like just, uh, some minor stuff. I'm just saying Nemo, Nemo, and Friends so and Nemo. Epcot. Yeah, or Toy Story Mania. Yeah. Imagine. So imagine. Yeah, it, it would be like them replacing Toy Story Mania this year. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how fast Disney was replacing rides back in the day. They replaced all of Epcot Center in that time frame. I mean, I can't, I can't, even, I can't even fathom that. Can't, can't even wrap your mind around it today. Um, yeah, that sort of, sort of puts things in perspective. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm about to die. It's been a long week. Yeah. Well, I'm about to sleep, too. So maybe we need to do Illuminations, Reflections of Earth episode later or something. Yeah. But man, this show—I mean, Illuminations is great. It is great. It's fantastic. Um, even with the boring middle part, still some of the best music in any theme park attraction ever. Yeah, it's still really, really good. Um, what do they say? Did they say they're replacing it yet? Uh, they're going to be replacing it with two shows. So they're doing a temporary show called Epcot Forever. Which right, is, that's when they play Epcot music. Yeah, with with the um, 
uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Skeletoscope. Uh, you know, you know how they had the uh, the kites from Skeletoscope. Oh, <laughs> so they're doing like nighttime kites is the best way to put it. Now they nice. have Harmonious is going to be the new nighttime show, which un- no, do you know what the wor- the real yuck part of it is? The U.S. is capitalized. As in Harmon Us. Oh, God. Yeah. Woof. And, the, and their angle is, well, we're just going to sing a bunch of Disney songs, and it's how a bunch, how it's about Disney the world. songs? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So, get ready I for hate, that. I hate them. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and we're, we'll come back to this theme again, is that, Epcot is about being beyond what Disney offers, you know? Like, even if it's just corporate synergy or whatever, it's beyond what Disney offers. Unfortunately, what they're we, we going... Do, we, we do need to have this podcast eventually. I mean, we can we can fold Illuminations into this, but yeah. we do need to talk about Epcot. We do need to talk about Epcot. Maybe we'll do it soon. But my my thesis is that Epcot is... About the world. Now, the world can be very, you know, political. It can be about corporations. It can be about what, whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that old school Epcot is some sort of utopian best version of the world, but it was outside of Disney, you know? And this feels inside of Disney, which is not what Epcot feels like, you know? So that's my two cents on the issue. Yeah, and then my two cents as mm-hmm. a as an advertisement for the upcoming podcast about Epcot. See it, see it coming to theaters next month. Um, the I mean, it, 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 even even all that stuff. Like, of of course we know Epcot as something that was daring and imaginative, and you know, aimed as highly as humanly possible. Even when you throw all that out and just get down to business. Economics 101, when you have four, four different products, four Disney World theme parks, they all have to be different. Otherwise, you you lose some, you lose some consumers. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of like point of differentiation is what marketers call it, right? What is the point of differentiation or point of difference in each of your products and each theme park is you know it's a billion dollar theme park so you have a lot riding on these projects these theme park projects so why in the world would you try to make one of them which has already differentiated itself very well by the way to the point where people don't even think it's in disney world that's how well differentiated epcot is Mm -hmm. how how do you take that product and just say, yeah, no, we're going to make it like a, all the other all the other stuff? Well, it's going to be like, more timeless in Disney, Jeff. That's what we're going to do. No, we're going to make not. it more timeless in Disney. No, it's not, because I'm pretty sure that Play Pavilion is going to have a bunch of shit that's only available in 2019. Or, or, or as designed, 2016. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, timeless. Sure. But Epcot was about the future. Yeah. Which, you know, and, future 
the future catches mm-hmm. up with you, so you need to constantly update it, which is a hassle. And I would, and I, I'd also argue my point being, it's about outside of Disney. It's about what's beyond what the company offers. I mean, so, that's its that's its highest, loftiest, noblest goals. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're absolutely right. But like, even and I'm trying to make this as basic a conversation. Just trying to emphasize that it is bad business. Mm-hmm. You can you can argue about oh Epcot was intended to be better and oh Epcot's goals are this Epcot goals are that. NBA executives don't give a shit, mm-hmm. but they give a shit about point of difference and being just dragging characters into pavilions and all that crap, all that branding. We see it everywhere else. So, like, you're losing the people who enjoyed going to Epcot most. All those people are gonna are gonna disappear because there's no there's no Epcot anymore. Now there's just more Disney crap. Mm-hmm. It's it's an extension of that. Remember that Mickey's Groove store at Downtown Disney when it it literally was just like the holy grail of useless Disney crap. Like, that's what Epcot is turning into, is just an extension. It's, like, basically the new downtown Disney West Side. Okay. And it's, like, and it's like you have you have a park theme to, ma- say, Magic Kingdom. Let's call it fantasy. You have a park theme to movies. You have a park theme to animals. So if you have a fourth park, which, by the way, if, you know, you were to valueize, valueize it. I don't even know if that's a word. Valueize it? You just... You invented it. I just, I just invented the word valueize. Mm-hmm. If you were to valueize it, would be three billion, four billion dollars probably. Is how much Epcot's worth? If if Disney were to sell Epcot today to let's say AT and T, I don't know. AT and T would probably pay what four billion dollars, something like that. AT and T, YouTube. I mean AT and T, Google, Apple, like some one of those companies. Yeah, yeah, three to four billion. Yeah, yeah. You have a you have a four billion dollar commodity product, and you just want to make it the same as your other billion dollar product. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any logical business sense. Like I I get that they're too lazy to actually go for Epcot's goals, but like think of like if they actually decided to do what Epcot should be, which is like. Just think how, like, Future World East, the entire Future World East could be owned by Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you have Universe of Energy for Solar City, you have Mission Space for SpaceX, and you have Test Track for Tesla. So Elon Musk could own, like, the entirety of Future World East. And they but, just like, n- never the, cared to do it, never cared to approach all the it. All the companies, Tesla, Apple, Google whatever youtube um all the agricultural companies that are coming out with ridiculous technologies um just all these companies who i'm sure would be just you know just happy just hopping for joy to be involved in something as cool as epcot center um that that seems like a no-brainer to me i mean it's something that magic kingdom doesn't have it's something that studios doesn't have it's something that universal doesn't have Mm -hmm. it's Disneyland doesn't have certainly, and you'd think you know just 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 turn on that spigot and Epcot is cool again, like overnight. But 
Anyway, this conversation can continue in the upcoming Epcot Center podcast. I guess so. Going to theaters everywhere next month. I guess we got to do that then. Mm-hmm. So um, for everyone who wants to know where you can find Josh again, go to WD. Who's Josh? Jo- Josh? Who, who's Josh? Uh, jo- Why do you keep saying Josh? Justin. So if you want to know where you can find Justin, I can't believe I say Josh with Justin. I'm. I feel embarrassed now. If you want, if you guys want to find out where you can uh, listen to Justin, see his tweets, all those fun things, uh, go to WGW Tales on Twitter. Um, also, great podcast, good content. I'd highly suggest listening to that. Um, wish he could be on for the whole episode, but hey, when you go for two hours, you got kids to deal with, right? I wouldn't know. But yeah, kids. He's also older than us, so that help that you know that happens. There's that. Yeah, there is that. Jeff, if people want to find out what's going on with you, where can they find you at? Also, what's coming up soon to uh, Parkscope from Jeff? What's coming up soon, Parkscope? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. drum roll, drum roll. Hopefully, Joe will finally finish his portion of the top five. Parkscope YouTube videos. Yes, I'm going to do that. That's what's coming soon, because nothing else is coming out until that comes out. Okay, but what after that, once that's done? Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, finish a long-running series that I had been doing over the past couple years that desperately (laughs) needs to finish. Maybe. That people ask about. (laughs) That that people people actually want me to finish. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that too. Uh, where can they find you online at, though? I am on Twitter, at Parkscope Jeff. Awesome. Uh, I'm at Parkscope Joe on Twitter. Uh, you can find all of us at Parkscope.net and Parkscope on Twitter. Man, it is 1.15 a.m. in the morning. This is the only time I really could do this podcast, so <laughs> thank you, Jeff, for putting up I with this bullshit. Of, I can think of no better time. To do this. Well, I mean, I mean, before the Millennium Celebration, like, 20th anniversary. Because, like, I'm busy next week. Then I'm in Orlando. And then by the time I'm back, it's already passed. So, eh, you know. But, yeah. No, there's no time like the present. Exactly. Anyway, we'll see you guys later. Uh, take care. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye now.